Well, last week, John started out our sermon series on life verses with a verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. And as you see these big, huge letters that spell out life, we invite you during communion today, or before and after services in the weeks to come, to write, take a Sharpie and write down your own life verse. As you can see, some people have already done that. Well, life verse is a verse from the Bible that sort of defines your life. Or maybe it's a verse that, where you've really seen God work in your life. A verse that's inspired you or guides you. Well, last spring, when the preaching schedule came out for the summer, those of us that were asked to preach in this particular sermon series were asked to respond with a life verse. And immediately, I emailed back, Micah 6.8, that's my verse. It's always spoken to me. I love Micah 6.8. But as soon as the preaching schedule was set, I started to rethink my knee-jerk reaction on choosing Micah 6.8. Because last year, from September to June, every Tuesday, Thursday night, I was learning Greek. Ancient biblical Greek, to be exact. The original language of the New Testament. Well, Micah is from the Old Testament. That's Hebrew. What was I thinking? I couldn't believe that I had made that decision. My chance to use my newfound skills in translating a verse from the Bible in its original language, Greek. And if you haven't heard, and if you ever saw me on a Tuesday, Thursday last year, you did hear. That was a hard skill to come by. But as I was lamenting this choice of Micah 6-8, a funny thing happened. I was pondering, what am I going to talk about? And it came to me. I can tie my Greek in. Because one of my favorite exercises that we did last year during Greek was a study of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew. Now, when you're taking Greek, you're really looking at the root of the word. And as we're trying to determine meaning, you're looking at all sorts of things like the gender, the tense, the voice, the mood of the word. Well, as we looked at the Lord's Prayer, we noted that the verb used in the first part, the verbs used in the first part of that prayer, had an imperative mood. An imperative means a command. Well, and that changes everything. So listen. Our Father in heaven, set apart your holy name. Bring your kingdom. Cause your will to be fulfilled on earth as it is in heaven. Now these th- first three petitions, while absolutely talking about God's action in, the hist- in history, in the world, are not without implications for the disciples that Jesus was teaching how to pray. The very form of this third-person imperative used here had some scholars, has some scholars believing that it points to the disciples' involvement in prayer. And if it points to their involvement in prayer, it points to us. That's us. Bring your kingdom. Cause your will to be done. We get to help bring it. And that's what Micah 6 eight's about. 
How are we to be a part of bringing the kingdom to earth? Well, listen to Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. And I love this verse because I don't think God could have put it out there more clearly. I heard these words and I just felt the simplicity, the truth of them. That this is how God created us and how he calls us. No, how he requires us to live. And I believe when we live out this command that we are part of bringing the kingdom to earth. A glimpse of that heavenly kingdom where we will live in God's presence, his loving presence eternally. So here's the context of that verse. Micah was a prophet from, from Morasseth, about 20 miles southwest of Jerusalem. And he prophesied during the 8th century, and his contemporaries were Hosea and Isaiah. He was writing to the people of Israel and Judah, the northern and southern kingdoms. And his purpose was to warn God's people that judgment was coming, and he was offering pardon for those who repented. So the theme throughout Micah is a theme of judgment and forgiveness. But what Micah makes clear throughout his, this book is that God hates unkindness, idolatry, injustice, and empty ritual. Things that God still hates today. Now earlier in chapter 6, Israel is accused of breaking their covenant with God. And God's faithfulness to his people is recounted. And we pick up where Micah tells us what God considers good. And what he, reveal, what he reveals to us is that what God considers good is doing God's will. And what is God's will for us? Here it is. God requires and he delights in a faith that produces justice, loves kindness, and walks humbly with him. And when we do it, and love it, and walk it, we bring it. We bring a glimpse of the kingdom here to earth. Now, in regard to these three things that God requires us to do, pastor and scholar James Howell says this about Micah 6.8. But this isn't a checklist. Justice? Got it. Kindness? Working on it. Walking humbly? Maybe someday. The lines between the three are blurry. Justice requires humility, which induces kindness, which looks a lot like community or humility, as does real justice. And justice is a different kind of justice because it's paired with walking humbly. And kindness has a different edge because it's situated between justice and walking humbly. And Howell goes on to say, and I love this, Micah's intent for us cannot be that lyric from the pop song, two out of three ain't bad. We need all three, which are really one, or we miss it all. And we, when we miss it all, we miss God. We miss the chance to do God's will. 
his will to bring the kingdom here. Now, following Micah's order of things, let's take a look at justice. And God doesn't want us to just think about justice, wish for justice, or even want justice. That clearly is not enough. We are told to do justice. It's an action. It's not something we do on occasion. It's supposed to be part of our everyday life. It's supposed to be the fabric of who we are doing justice. But what are we talking about here when we're talking about justice? Because Micah's understanding of justice, I think, is a bit different than ours. It's more than rules for the smooth ordering of society or even making sure everything's fair. Because quite honestly, before I studied this, that's what I was kind of thinking it was about. But Mike is talking about a justice that's personal. It's personal to God and personal because it's from God. It's God's justice. And justice reveals what is in the heart of God. And the heart of God calls us to be a just society where everybody belongs, where the neediest are taken care of, where no one goes hungry or nobody's disenfranchised. And throughout scripture, we see God as the defender of the poor and the oppressed. We see it and we know it, but what are we doing about it? The justice Micah is talking about invites all of us, invites us to share the things that God has given to us. Not merely with ourselves and those we love, but all people. God wants us, no, he requires us to make sure that not one person's left out of the cold, not one child dies of hunger, that even the hard-to-love person is not left alone. Justice not only gives to the poor, but it asks the question, why does poverty exist? And you know what? I'm not sure we like the, we're going to like that answer. Because honestly, I didn't. And as I was reading about this and studying it and preparing for this sermon, I said to my husband, oh, this justice piece sort of has me convicted. I'm not sure what I'm even going to say. And his words of wisdom were incredible. He said, honey, be honest and just stand up there and say, I got nothing. But even in our brokenness, I think we can live out that kingdom in big and small ways. What I know is that I'm not fully doing it and that we could do it better. And don't get me wrong, I see this community do amazing things, individuals and as a collective whole. And every time we step out these doors, in the doors, are outside the doors and we're loving the least, the lost, the forgotten, We are bringing the kingdom. But I'm certain that we're called to do justice all year long and all of our life. I think it's a habit. It's a discipline. One that changes hearts. One that brings God's kingdom to earth. 
And I'll tell you, when I heard the stories a couple weeks ago of those, all the high schoolers that came back from Zambia where they were working in the slums, I was convicted once again that God continues to call us to do justice. And when we do it, we bring it. But we can't do justice without loving kindness. In Micah's second requirement, the Hebrew words from 2,700 years ago were a little harder to translate. The first word was clear, love. The second, more difficult to translate. And so whether we land on love loyalty, to love goodness, to love mercy, or to love kindness, what's important here is that Micah urges us toward a significant kind of love, a love that's a way of life. This kind of love reflects God's commitment to love. Our God, who is merciful and kind and sticks with us every step of the way through every circumstance in our life. That's what's required of us, to love kindness. That's my sister, Leslie. So seven years ago, my sister Leslie was diagnosed with a really aggressive form of breast cancer, and we were all sure she kicked it, that they got it. Last April, she went in for what she thought was pneumonia, and that cancer had metastasized and come back in her lungs and her bones. She's a sixth-grade math teacher, married. She has a little guy, Riley. He's seven. It was really hard. Actually, we were pretty devastated. But I'll tell you, she's been surrounded, surrounded by the community of God, people that are living God's will out to love kindness. And the prayers, the notes, the meals, the child care, they've overwhelmed her. They've overwhelmed her with God's love. So a few months ago, she called me up, and she had just had her second chemo treatment. And she was telling me about this incredible day. She had made it back for her last day of school because she wanted to say goodbye to the kids. And they had this huge last day assembly. She got got up to hand out the math awards. And she decided spontaneously, I want to thank these people because the parents were there and the kids and the teachers. And she just said, I want to thank you guys because you've been my community. You've been my prayer warriors. You've kept me going and I want to thank you. And as she sat down, To her surprise, she got a standing ovation. And then she came home, and her neighbor's staff, who had made up business cards and handed them out at her son's school, she had meals lined up for those guys for the next six months. And sitting on her front stoop, all her neighbors, this very moderate neighborhood, had all pitched in and bought them a brand-new freezer to store all those meals. And then she had a call that same day from a good friend she hadn't heard from forever, who's a nurse, and said, hey, can I come with you to your doctor appointments today? What a blessing. And so my sister, she's telling me the story, and you know what she ends the conversation by saying? Deb, who could have a better life than me? Who could be more blessed? Because here's the deal. Cancer or no cancer, she gets God's love for her. Because people have brought the kingdom to her. Because they love kindness and mercy. It's pretty amazing. Now, see that shawl on her? 
That shawl was knitted by our prayer shawl ministry here. And before one of my visits out there, someone from the prayer shawl team, they called me up. And they said, Deb, we knit a shawl for your sister and we'd like you to bring it out. Now this prayer ministry is unbelievable because they get together and these people, they knit and knit and they pray. They pray for people they don't even know. And then we dedicate those shawls. And we dedicated this shawl in the chapel, dedicated with our tears in her heart. And I brought it to my sister. And she wears it during her chemo treatments and when she's doing her devotions. And guess what? You guys brought the kingdom to my sister. And a funny thing happened along the way. You brought the kingdom to me. So I thank you for that. So when we love it, we bring it. Okay, here we are at God's third requirement to walk humbly with your God. Now, how do we do that in this culture? A culture that is all about who you know and what you do and how great I am. Our culture screams, it is about me. But remember Paul's words, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. But aren't we created in the image of God? Aren't we special? And this is where humility gets tricky. It's only when we realize that our true value is in the creator. It's never about how great I am. It's about how great he is. In Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 through 5, it talks about the hidden value of humility. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained. What is man that you take thought of him? And the son of man that you care for him. Yet you have made him little lower than God. And you crown him with glory and majesty. That's our awesome God. The God who loves us. And only in humility... Can we ask in wonder and in awe, who am I? Who are we? That God knows us, loves us, and cares for us. Here's our value. Our only value is in being his. This is what James Howell says about humility. Humility is the simple truth about ourselves. But the truly humble glance quickly away, for their focus is not on their own humility, but it's on God. But how do we walk it? Carefully, we embrace Christ. We embrace who we are in Christ. And I think there's an intentionality, an attentiveness that we need to practice in our day-to-day lives. And that's acknowledging God in everything. And I think when we do that, it becomes a part of who we are. You know, as a Minneapolis police chaplain, I'm on call three days a month. There's nothing that reminds me more than that of who I am. Because every time I stand at the door of someone's house and I'm about ready to knock... And let them know that their loved one has died. I pray. And every time I pray, I start out the same way. God, 
thank you that you are God and that you know what you're doing. Because what I do know is, I don't. And every time I'm in a pastoral situation, I'm reminded of how great God is. And I'm humbled. We walk humbly with our God, and the humble are never passive. We're in the world doing justice and loving kindness. And we walk with God, and we're never alone. This is what we know to be true, and that's part of what keeps us humble. We can rest in that, we can trust it, and it frees us up to bring the kingdom here. What was Jesus' last promise on earth? We saw it in Matthew 28. Go into all the world, and I will be with you always. God is with us. We can and we need to walk humbly because we walk with an awesome God who is ours and we are his. And together, together we all walk for the kingdom, the kingdom, our heavenly kingdom and the kingdom here on earth. And when we walk it humbly, we bring it. Simple message, isn't it? What does the Lord require of us to do justice, love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God? And I think this threefold vision of God, it stretches us, it stretches our mind, stretches our heart. And frankly, I think if we really look at it, it's challenging to live out. But I think we're created with this longing to understand and to do What God has shown us is good. And what's clear from Micah is this. It's not enough for us to think it, wish it, or even pray it. We need to do it and love it and walk it. Because God requires us to bring it. So let's step out. Let's step out in faith. Living out justice, love, and humility. Knowing at times that we'll fail, but knowing that the desire to please God pleases God. And when we trust God, we trust that the Holy Spirit will work in us, despite us, and will produce the fruit of Micah 6-8. So my girls and I, when they're home for the summer from college, we do this uh, workout video called Insanity. And four or five days out of the week, Sean T., he leads us through this just series of killer workouts. Kind of designed to confuse your muscles. It's a little crazy and even a little radical, actually. But when I stick to it and I make it part of what I do daily, I see change. I start to change. And after we're done every time, the girls go up. And every single time, and this is the truth, I stay down because I say, oh, I want to watch the advertisement for P90X. Because right after that is an advertisement for this, the next step up in exercising. And I love to watch Tony Horton bringing the people through those crazy, radical exercises of P90X. And honestly, my favorite part, and I watch it just for this, is because at the very end, after all the people are exercising, Tony Horton steps up and he just goes... Bring it. 
And besides just thinking it's super cool, it does really remind me that God calls us to bring it. What does God require of us? It's simple and clear, but frankly, a little crazy and radical to live out in our culture. But when we do it and love it and walk it, we get to be a part of bringing it. We're bringing God's heavenly kingdom here. Let's pray. Gracious God, you are amazing. Amazing that you've created us and love us. And that you've clearly told us what it is you require of us. So God, I just pray for every single person in this room that we can hear your word, feel your spirit, and just look to you, God, as we do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with you. Because God, we are so grateful that we have the privilege of doing life with one another and being a part of bringing the kingdom here. Your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.